0: I'm not laying out the future as a business partner. I'm laying out the future as a business leader. HR people are like, what HR metrics do you think are important? Like the P&L?
1: A lot of people don't do that. Like, how, how do you do it? And do you think HR leaders are doing that well since you left Netflix? The point is, it's to produce great teams
0: for the future, not to make sure that everybody that you hired in the past gets a career path.
2: That's so counter to what many HR people
0: think today? My CFO at Netflix, he said, yeah, I don't like the way you are, who you are that much, but you're a diva. And like, you're always right about people. The thing is, Barry, we actually have the same skills. You know, yours is with numerals, mine's with people, it's pattern recognition.
1: everybody welcome to the first ever hr heretics podcast where we get into the real talk of company construction these are the conversations that happen between founders chief people officers and investors behind closed doors
2: today's episode features the one and only patty mccord but first a little housekeeping we're your co-hosts i'm nolan church i was the head of talent at doordash the chief people officer at carta and i'm currently the ceo of continuum
1: and i'm kelly dragovich i've been an hr leader at companies including github Looker, Google, Intuit, Yahoo, Hired, and most recently, Pendo. There's got to be more, right, Kelly? I think you have like 37 hits on your resume. Top of my head. <laughs> Did you miss any? Did I?
2: If I would have had you as my advisor in my last role, I'd probably still be working there.
1: I'm telling you, I I wish I would have had this 14 years ago when I started Adventure. I really, yeah. really do. I would listen every week religiously and then probably reach out to those people to ask questions, which we answer.
2: Our audience should totally do that. And they should also hit us up on LinkedIn and all of the different places for any questions, feedback. This is our first show, but make sure to subscribe because we have an amazing lineup of guests coming. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, five stars only. Otherwise, we know who designed your comp and it will be lower. Share with your friends, share with your enemies. So Kelly, you helped us score the best first guest of all time, Patty McCord. She was the chief talent officer at Netflix. She worked with Reed Hastings, the CEO, for 25 years. How did you get to meet Patty to begin with?
1: So, everyone knew of Patty. I knew of Patty, right? I met Patty, I believe it was late 2013 for the first time. It was probably about three months after I started GitHub. And she walked up to me and said, You're still alive. Do you want to chat? And I said, I am. Yes, I do. <laughs> and from there on, Patty was just kind of in my bat phone. Right. So I, I thought totally. it would be a great first guest. I thought, you know, the backbone of this show, Nolan, is we tell the truth. Right. Yep. We want to unveil the things that are said in the C-suite, in the boardroom, in the VC building that no one really gets to hear about. And some of those are controversial. Some of those are hard to hear. Some of those are difficult to understand.
2: Patty's the goat. In my mind, when I think about HR heretics, I literally think about Patty McCord in my head. And I think that's who... A lot of our listeners are going to want to model their careers after, model their partnerships after, model their board meetings after. I will tell you that I was a little bit starstruck during the conversation. Uh, I had read her book. I had read The Culture Deck numerous times. And for me, I always wanted to be like Patty. And the reason why, she is the real deal. She says the things out loud that most people are scared to say. And when things were really hard when I was a chief people officer and, and head of recruiting, I would always look at what Patty was doing to get some courage. She's like the most intentional designer of culture that I think we've ever seen in Silicon Valley.
1: I agree. For that time, the realness and the directness of that deck and what they stood for was yeah. unprecedented. It was yeah. against all the traditional ways of running a company, and they basically swam upstream.
2: Yep. One of the things that listeners are going to love is the relationship between Patty and Reed. And I found it so interesting that Reed did not actually listen to Patty in the beginning of their relationship. She had to earn that trust as time went on. And I thought it was fascinating because from the outside in, you would just think everyone listens to Patty McCord.
1: So the thing that always and still inspires me about Patty is she just always plays offense. I think a lot of people in this industry, they play defense, right? They plan for the worst. they guard against they mitigate they don't go get and starting with that culture deck they just played offense they weren't reckless but they weren't fearful and I think that that gave a lot of people a lot of confidence to try new things without further ado here's Nolan and I talking to Patty
2: let's get into it Patty get into it I'm into it (laughs) thanks so much for spending time with us I actually wanted to jump in on the culture deck. Mm -hmm. Sheryl Sandberg called it one of the most important documents in Silicon Valley. It's been 14 years. I know. Shared 15 million times. Looking back, like, what did you get wrong, if anything, in the culture deck?
0: Well, let's back up a little bit. Um, The culture deck, I didn't write it. Reed and I didn't write it. We wrote it with the management team at Netflix over a period of 10 years.
1: (laughs) Okay,
0: So if you go back and look at it, every chapter is built on the chapter before. So we rewrote those, I think it's nine of them, six times in the time that I was there. Early on in the company, we laid off a third of the company. It was a very cost-intensive business because we had to buy DVDs and stamps and envelopes and the people to put them in there. And the more um, successful we got, the more money we spent. So we were just burning through our VC money, right? And it was like, God, we got to cut costs. What'll we do? We don't have anything to cut but people. And that Christmas DVD players dropped to ninety-nine bucks. And you had one, and you had one. We all had one under the Christmas tree. And, under, and the only thing, the only marketing we could do was a in the box was a coupon that said, "Try Netflix for free." And our business went. Whoosh. So we were doing twice as much business with a third as many people and it was more fun. huh And it turned out that everybody had like a bigger job and more responsibility. and our goal was not very esoteric. it was like don't die. Yep. <laughs> right do, do not die and so what we found was that that smaller team that was really really focused on one thing dvd by mail amazingly great was really powerful so that's when we wrote the chapter called um high performance uh high performance for me as an hr executive took maybe four or five years to pull off Because I had to have a recruitment team that would hire the best people for the jobs that we had in the future, not for the best people that we had in the jobs that were now. I had to convince my CFO that a severance agreement was better than a performance improvement plan. And I had to convince all the lawyers of that, (laughs) right? So I basically started, like, looking around every day and saying, are there things that we're doing that don't matter, are the things that we're doing that slow us down. And if it slows us down and we only have so much time to be successful, then maybe we don't need to do them. Yep. Okay, so then we have a team of high-performance people. And then we're like, well, what about um, freedom and responsibility and context, not control? So if you go back through and you look at the deck, you'll see that if it wasn't for the chapter before, the chapter after couldn't have happened. So that's the true story of the culture deck. Wow. Um, and that's why I wrote my book after I left Netflix was when I started consulting, every startup founder would throw the deck on the table and go, we
1: want to do this. I'm like, all right, you ready to get started? I've talked to a lot of founders and um, HR folks or any, any business leader. They're like, the culture deck, we have to apply it, right? We'll just overlay it onto this and we'll just copy it. Yeah. And just knowing you for about 12 years now, we've talked about this deck a lot. And I say, it's not its not really a playbook. I mean, hell, it's not even a playbook for them. It's more like a journal, <laughs> like a journal of your life that you rewrite and change and evolve and build off and tweak as you learn more about yourself. Yeah, it's a really and good description of this, it. This this, this ter- playbook and deck, I just get hives when people tell me that well like, you know we a freaking journal we they didn't, didn't even know we did. I
0: didn't write it for anybody but us right. right so how we used it at the beginning was reed and i would meet with whoever we hired in a quarter who could usually fit in the room and we'd yeah. go over the deck and say this is what you can expect and sometimes in those meetings i'd see people kind of go oh shit no. <laughs> i'd be like Ooh, right? they're not gonna last yeah. <laughs> you know so so True story. We're driving to work one day, and he goes, "You know, I met this woman last night who has this really cool company called SlideShare, and they share a PowerPoint presentations online." I'm like, "God, that's a great idea. I wish I'd thought of that." Wonder who, what people are going to put out there. He's like, "Well, I put the deck out yesterday." I'm like, you did, "What? Because it's so edgy, right?" I'm like, "Oh, reed you're going to scare away. You're going to scare away all my, you know, my potential candidates." And he goes, "Only the ones we don't want." Exactly and it changed the way we interviewed the next day so now I wasn't interviewing you to see if you had all the right acronyms on your resume now I was saying tell me about the stuff you've actually delivered yep right tell me about um, how wh- what you've done wrong that you would do differently again right so it, it just it created a conversation that was really important for us to be clear about who we were. And we were not yeah. saying everybody should yeah. it's funny that people are like, you know, I wanna do this. I want to be like be like you. Well, but you can if you're in a medical device company. You can if you're in a manufacturing organization. I mean it's yeah.
2: But it also no. gives the candidates the opportunity to opt in or opt out.
0: Yeah, and have real conversation. You know, I remember when we could finally interview people from, who had offers from Facebook or Google or, you know, the cool companies. And um, they'd say, can I work on anything that I want? I'm like, no, we, we rent movies. <laughs> like, it's not Google. Yeah, we're, we're not everything to everybody. We do this one thing. And if you're not really interested in this problem, then that's okay. There's lots of opportunity yeah. at Google.
1: To play devil's advocate on the culture deck, right? Lots of twists and turns. The next chapter is written on the first one, and you all were just super dynamic. You moved fast. You switched, I mean, very quick. How did you take the employees along with that? Because I can see... Right now, and we know this. They love to complain. What are you lunatics doing? I don't know what's going on. You <laughs> so don't know, know what you're doing. There's so much shame. <laughs> way, way, way. Like, change. are my favorite stories that's and, in the book. And you know, book. they're expecting yeah. a ton. How did you take
0: them along? Or did you even freaking care? This guy said to me, he goes... I don't think that management understands and everything's changing. And it's not like it used to be. And we used to know each other's names and we used to know what everybody was doing. I mean, I don't think management understands. I'm like, well, I'm a vice president and I report to the CEO, so let's call me management, okay? You and I have had this conversation seven times and I've had it four times with Reed. So I'm gonna say part A of your sentence is false. Management hears you, we understand. Do you know why? Things are different. Why? I'm like, because we're successful. Yeah. <laughs> I said, Do you know what we want to be when we grow up? He's like, oh, I'm like a global corporation. <laughs>
1: you could tell. He was like,
0: I'm like, it's okay. You won't be here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you're a startup guy. And I mean, yeah. and that's, you know, the, and the thing was that um, it, we literally made it up. And so because we made it up, we could try something and go, oh, that was stupid. Let's not do that anymore. Or that has promise. Let's see if we can work on that.
2: But people have a hard time with that change. Like, yeah, well, and, they, and you hear yeah. it all the time. To your point, you like Kelly and I hear it all the time as well in the CPO job. How did you guys think about it? Did you care?
1: One thing I'll jump in and I'll let Patty. One thing that I love about her leadership is just just the human aspect of it. Like literally saying, I don't know, or we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. It's changing. I mean, I've never seen employees just stop and nod as fast as you just saying, we don't know. Get over it. Right.
0: <laughs> like, you know, if you want a predictable company, you should be at IBM. Yeah. they'll respond to uh, that uh, though, Yeah. Right? I mean, but like. Yeah. And, and if you don't want to be part of the change, so, so I have a couple of sayings I tell people. So when they come and say, you know, management made this stupid decision and I don't agree with it. I say, okay, Dad, I have two questions to ask you. And the second one's more important. One is, if you're in management, what decision would you have made? More importantly, if you're in management, what information would you want to have to make the best decision? So you teach people how to use the scientific method. You teach people that you're expecting them to think, right? Could you, th- I don't right. care about your opinion. I really do not. Problem solve, problem finders, worth nothing. Problem solvers, ooh, weight in gold. Right. So it's but but you have to model that behavior and you have to teach that behavior. And I think it's one of the things that's really hard right now with our distributed workforce. I mean, I love remote work and we can talk about how amazing those things are, but there's part of like seeing great leadership in action that inspires people to be great leaders.
1: Right. right, you know, and those I, don't have to be very complex things. They're not complex. I remember, I remember leadership of action is a yeah. genius. Um, yeah, you guy's know. like,
0: did you see that I ask a lot of questions in <laughs> the development meeting? I'm like, I did, and all of them were kind of dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you, asking questions is not very noteworthy. Yeah, right. You didn't have any suggestions for how we could do it better. Yeah, and so that's kind of it w- leads me to um, feedback. Right. But most people think that feedback means telling people something negative in a nice way so that they won't feel bad, right? That's the shit sandwich, right? It's the nice thing, the bad thing, the nice thing. And and what it really means is if you're really... um, if the person you're giving feedback to knows that your objective and giving you feedback is to make you better, to make the company better, to make the customer happier, then you're much more willing to listen. But you're not willing to listen to just the feedback. The part of it that people miss is like, and here's what you could do differently. And here's what the effect would be. And here's the effect of the way you're communicating is now. The other part is like we totally. So um, feedback is like as a parent, you know, guilt tripping, that bad thing you did. That's a bad thing. Don't do that again. Shame. It, you should feel bad. Shame. Yeah, shame.
1: You should feel shame when you do that again. I talked to my therapist about it with my yes. kids right now. She said, shame, <laughs> embarrassment. Exactly. The two things that I'm doing. I'm like, okay. No you, wonder right going to do it again.
0: Right? I mean, it's just so ineffective. Very. And if you think about effective feedback, it's when I say, Kelly, thanks for speaking up in this meeting about that. Because you've been complaining to me about it for months, but you've never said it out loud in front of everybody else. And so and thanks for your suggestion on how to do it better. Do that again. And you will do that today. 100%. 100%.
2: So my understanding of how Netflix did feedback was once a quarter the team would get a, around a table and then everyone would give that person feedback. I'm sure that's like a little bit over dramatized. No,
0: but I mean that's one of the ways we did it. I mean, I probably tried 20 different ways when I was there. I never got it right. Interesting. Um I and I don't I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. But I do know that the closer to in the moment it is, the more effective it is. Yeah. Uh, and also that um, you can be just straight with people and that people can hear anything if it's true. Right. It's that sugar coating that we put on it. You know, you could have better interpersonal relationships with cross-functional teams if you worked on better communication. And you're like, what the hell is she talking yeah,
2: about? Yeah, What does that mean?
0: Yeah. And so with real examples in real time, especially in the moment, then that matters. So I tried do that. You do, do
2: you do it in the moment of like, like in a group setting or do we grab this person after the fact? It like-
0: depends on how entrenched they are. Right. It's really, really great to grab this person in the moment and do it in front of everybody else. And They're like, oh my God, can you believe what she said to him?
2: Interesting. And
0: she lived, right? Because when I was at sun, they'd be like, "Mm, career limiting moment right there. We just saw that one.
1: Hey, everyone. We'll be right back in a moment after a word from our sponsors.
2: Hey, everybody. Your co-host Nolan here. High performance and great culture should never be at odds. They're better together. With Lattice People Management Platform, companies efficiently run people programs that create enviable cultures where employees want to do their best work. Serving thousands of customers of all sizes globally, Lattice helps everyone work better together. Learn why companies from Slack to the LA Dodgers choose Lattice. Visit lattice.com hrheretics HR heretics today. That's lattice, L-A-T-T-I-C-E.com. Have you ever had a negative experience hiring an executive? I certainly did at Carta and DoorDash, and that's why I started Continuum, the modern AI-powered executive search firm. Continuum connects executives and senior operators to venture-backed tech companies for fractional and full-time roles. You could post any executive-level role to Continuum's marketplace and search through our database of world-class experience leaders. Continuum will intelligently surface your opportunity to relevant operators. They'll express interest and show up in your inbox. It's like magic. There's no platform fee or hidden cost. You only pay the person you hire and you can cancel at any time. If you're thinking about hiring an exec in the middle of a search right now or don't know how to solve a problem, I get it. Scaling is hard. Companies like Athletic Greens, Weights and Biases, Massari and more than a hundred other tech companies have turned to Continuum for help solving their people ops, go to market, engineering and finance challenges. So check out Continuum in the description below. Ping me on LinkedIn if you have any questions, or head to joincontinuum.com.
1: Well, I, this is interesting. This is kind of spicy. We were talking about this in the backyard before. Here, I have a hypothesis. It's not about your how you are doing at Netflix. It's great, and but people have trauma. People, right? I mean, Nolan. This is a T shirt of his. The ten average tenure is eighteen months in executive roles, or even for for like highly talented people, especially in Silicon Valley, we move. 18 months, two years, you move companies, and bad shit can happen. And you have trauma, and you have scars, and so you kind of have to like retrain these people that it's okay to get feedback. You're not going to get burned, or you are going to get burned, because different companies, different founders, different leadership teams have these different cultures, and people are
0: trying to move around and adapt to them. I think it's deeper, what you're talking about is deeper, because that idea that your tenure in a company should last longer than 18 months It's a complete lie. And it's been a lie since the 60s. I mean, really, seriously, are we still talking about this shit? I agree. Right? The the career pathing stuff, it's like the world moves really fast. 18 months is long enough to learn a ton of stuff. Um, You know, bad stuff happens to all of us, whether we want it to or not. If you're 18 months in any job that's exactly the same as what they hired you to do, you should probably not expect a lot in the future. Okay? And nuts, and lots of people don't, and that's perfectly okay, right? But you got to choose a company that's going to have you have the same 18 months of experience over and over and over and over again. Yes. Most companies in the current world want you to have pretty fresh experience, right? And so you can... I was at Netflix for... God, forever, right? 14 years. But I always tell people like, I I used to tell Reed, the CEO of Netflix, I'm like, okay, here's the deal with me. I kind of think of him as degrees. And after between four and five years, I get bored. And then I kind of start making trouble. And then, you know, then you got to let me go. So, He's, I'm like, so you should know that. And so we get to my four and a half years, and we're going from DVD to the technology of streaming. <laughs> and it's like, oh, new company. <laughs> so, so a lot of times you can have that 18 months of experience. That's why I'm such an advocate of, so now that I've done this for so long, the job of management is to build great teams that produce amazing work on time with quality that satisfies the customer. Done, that's it, that's all, right? But the point is, is to produce great teams for the future, not to make sure that everybody that you hired in the past gets a career path.
2: That's so counter to what many HR people think today I know. and push internally to CEOs. Yeah. They want a career path, they want levels, they want it nice and structured in this box. And you're basically just saying like.
0: It's not true. It's bullshit. I mean, it's yep. it has always has been. And it always. So so. I do talk in Canada before the pandemic. There's 500 CEOs and their HR people in the audience. Right. And I say, raise your hand if you're in the job that you had when you graduated from university. CEOs. How many hands go up? Zero. Right. I'm like, OK, raise your hands if you and your HR partner Um think that the most important measurement uh, for people is retention. 500 people raise their hands. I'm like, does that not, not seem fair to you? <laughs> I mean, like, it isn't right? true for you, but it's true for all of them. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy metric, right? It's a crazy metric. And It's just, it doesn't work that way. Uh, It's just, if you're successful, your company will change. Do you hear me? If you're successful, your
1: company will change. And people will leave and new people will come in. People will grow. People will renew. People will leave and start new companies and and buy your products. And some will come back.
2: Right. That's right. And the people that are there will be fine. They'll be fine. We can talk to them as you know, adults about yeah. change.
0: I mean, I, I, another thing I've been talking about a lot since I've left is um, if you can wrap your head around creating a company, that's a great place to be from. Let me say it again: a great place to be from. So that your job as a leader is to create um, resume-worthy, uh, oh. pro, you know,
1: projects and products, and right then. Then you take that with you forever. Yeah. Why do you think um, folks are still like grasping onto this retention? What is it? Are they because we're scared?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, you get older and you have families, you have obligations, and you want predictability. I mean, we're humans. We want to know our cave's going to be there, and that you know the woolly mammoth will be there for supper. I mean, whatever it is, right? And so that's not illogical to not want security. It's just not true to promise it to people,
2: especially in a hyper growth business,
0: especially in a hyper growth business, especially for entrepreneurs. I mean, you know, I'm lucky because I have been part of a couple of really successful startup companies, but I am not the norm. You aren't, Kelly. You guys are. I mean, you know, the norm is like, well, I went to hell in a (laughs) handbasket because it was either a great idea that was a feature or it was a great idea that's part of something else, or it was a great idea that with bigger resources and complexity, then you can grow it in a way you couldn't do it on your own. So, I mean, that's the norm. And so what we don't tell people early in their career is the truth. Right? Yeah. You know, it's highly unlikely yeah. you will join this firm yeah. and be here for the rest of your life. But it's highly likely that every couple of years you're going to be in a significantly different job.
2: I want to talk about your relationship with Reed. Yeah. How long did you guys know each other or have known each other?
0: Reed Hastings, the CEO of, former CEO of Netflix, he retired last year. Let's see, my relationship with Reed. Um, I met Reed because when I was at a company called Borland, one of our executives left and he had a lot of options on what to do next. He was going to either be a professor at Harvard or he was going to join a startup. And he joined this startup and I was coaching him on, you know, what choices to make. And I said, Well, why'd you choose this one? He said, because I think the CEO is really talented and I think he has a lot of potential. So I was pretty frustrated because the company wasn't going very well. So I, called, I cold called. Are you old enough to remember Star 69? Yes. Right, when yeah. somebody called you, you'd do Star 69. It would <laughs> dial the phone back, right? So uh, I did Star 69, and Reed's sister was the uh, receptionist. She answered the phone. And I'm like, hi, my name is Patty McCord. Can I speak to Reed Hastings? She, she puts me through <laughs> know me right and I said hi you don't know me but I'm gonna be your next HR person and I'd really like to come and meet you and he's like what who, who are you cold out, and read that's amazing yeah <laughs> so it's like a star 69 what year is this oh, this is i don't know 80 90s early 90s right that's og patty yeah it's anyway um i got an interview with him and um in the interview i was he said something about you know what's your hr philosophy and i'm from sun right so i speak fluent hr Reed, I believe that every employee should be able to reach out with their personal goals and objectives and align them with the core competencies of the business and the organization and find a way to, you know, I just... HR bingo. HR bingo. Man, I just float. And he looks at
1: me and he goes... You didn't throw engagement in there?
0: Oh, I, I had them all. I had them all. Engagement, empowerment. I had, and I believe that employees should be empowered. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, we sell software. I don't understand what you people you're like do you have an original thought in your head and i said you don't know me like and he's like yeah well i'm not gonna if you're gonna keep answering so we get in this big fight and then they called me back and um and it was because uh (laughs) the other person they just didn't like
1: very so much just
2: right. limited options got a <laughs> yeah. limited options
1: yes. Process of elimination. <laughs> yes. so, yeah so uh, so a pipeline of
0: two and now, and and my background is recruiting right so I'm this is the first time I've ever been like a real HR generalist and a professional so I go in I'm like hi Rita, I and I talk to you about the structure of the organization where we're going he's like yeah um note I didn't ask you why don't you go away like we got we got work to do and I really don't need you to help me do that So I told you outside, like, so we had this endless series of conversations over years where I'd say, you know, if you'd asked me what you should do in this situation, I would have said, probably not what you did. And I would suggest something different. And he would say, note that I didn't ask you. Mm -hmm. And then over time, he would come in and go, I did something you're not going to like. So I might as well tell you before you give me shit about it. And then after a while, it'd be like, I have this idea. What do you think? And because, you know, you guys know this, you know how we get our reputation? We're right more often than we're wrong. And somebody said to me one time, um, oh, my CFO at Netflix, he said, yeah, I don't like the way you are, who you are that much, but you're a diva. And like, you're always right about people, right? When we interview somebody and I disagree with you, you always turn out to be right. And I'm like, well, first of all, let me just, Bathe in the that you called me a diva for a minute.
1: <laughs> Not that you're right. But I, was you're saying,
2: right. <laughs> I, I was right. was yeah, okay. like,
0: you know, whoa. Because I mean, we fought all the time. And I said, you know, the thing is, Barry, we actually have the same skills. You know, yours is with numerals, mine's with people. It's pattern recognition. Right. So I don't care what they say on their resume. I care about what they've actually done, what they've actually delivered, what's, you know. And you want to talk about, like, what rank were they at Harvard, which has nothing to do with the job we're hiring them to do, yeah. right? So that's, I, that's our strength, right? And so where we get the respect that we want is not, you know, demanding a seat at the table, yeah, I want why doesn't HR have a seat at the table? I'm like, just earn it, right? Have the table be set and somebody say, oh my God, we should get Kelly.
2: But in, in your case, you were actually like, okay, not being listened to. And at least in the beginning.
0: Yeah, but I had to be right.
2: Right, right.
0: Uh, right. I mean, I, I made a policy for with myself that I would never say I told you so because I would never have to. And you know what? Most of the time, it's like you know this this person is not telling you the truth. What do you mean he's not telling me the truth? I mean, you think he's lying? I'm like me, pretty sure.
2: There's so many HR people though, Patty, that don't want to let founders make mistakes, and I've found that that's the only way people learn, especially founders.
1: Yeah,
0: the uh, whole let them fail. Uh, you know, I, I remember after I left Netflix, I was consulting to a company. Um, this is when I was working Brandon Street. That was back in the day of the last dot com boom, right? Everybody had the cool offices on Brandon Street. I'm oh, like, yeah. you know, I don't really do the side streets. I only work Brandon. And I go in, and this guy, the the it's you know, a San Francisco office. It's all full of brick, and oh. and, and there's nine pool tables. And I'm like, geez, you know, you could put a lot of engineers in here. <laughs> To take the space of the nine pool tables and so, the bars. I, so I say to the CEO, I say, um, "What do you want for your company? Right? What's what's your vision?" He's like, "We're going to be a well-oiled machine. We're gonna we're gonna deliver. We're gonna produce. We're gonna have great solutions for our customers. We're gonna be just a team that's operating at maximum." I'm like, "Wow, that is that's great." Okay, so let's say you and I are playing pool, and. Uh, we have an executive, you know, we have a leadership meeting at two and it's five to two, and I'm about to pretty much kick your ass. Like, what happens? He goes, oh, You're not going to kick my ass. We're going to stay here until I beat you. I'm like, Uh huh. You want to have a well oiled machine? Be on time. <laughs> it's that simple, yeah. right? It, it, you know, if you say you will, then do. And people are you know, in all my years of doing this, you guys know this for sure. We're just ducks. We imprint on leadership. And that's why, you know, your question was, why don't we let founders fail? We don't have to let them fail, but we have to give them a heads up that, you know, this this has consequences, right? This decision, this act that you're doing has consequences. And I'm not the founder, you are. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's. You're the boss, so. You're
2: laying out the future. I'm you're, laying, you're out laying out the, the future with multiple And I'm laying out the paths. future, yeah. you know,
0: we talked about earlier, I'm not laying out the future as a business partner. I'm laying out the future as a business leader. From a specific angle. From where I sit know, like and when, I can when, see yeah, everything. When HR people are like, what HR metrics do you think are important? Like the P&L.
2: Right. Revenue. Right. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Right, and so if every quarter you have a executive management offsite, and every puts together you know a slideshow of what they're going to do, and you notice that you're three quarters in and they haven't done it, like okay, there's something wrong. It's probably people, but you don't have to go like well, I don't think so. I don't think you're un- I think you're unhappy. It's not whether or not you're unhappy. You're just not delivering. Yeah. So what's what's going on in there?
1: yeah the relationship with these founders just working with a ton of them and you two both of you yeah and talking with even more than i've worked with it's a tricky relationship right especially in this hr people whatever we call ourselves now what do we call ourselves nolan i have no idea anymore we're We're people people in this job because it, it has to be a balance between that business side and the relationship side. You, you can't be but it's bo- too it's far. Not, it's
0: not a balance, Kelly. It's it's
1: Yeah, I guess it is. I but, mean, but a lot of people don't do that. Like how, how do you do it? And do you think HR leaders are doing that well since you've left Netflix the last 12 years? How has it shifted? Well, I mean, I've seen things shift so
0: dramatically since I've left, right? So when I first left, it was chief happiness officers and all that crazy shit i mean and then there's the pandemic like oh my god are tech bros cooking their own breakfast how's that gonna happen like how are they gonna get their own cereal Yep. <laughs> and then because of the pandemic we literally had a, a vision into people's lives and realized oh wow they have children they have spouses they have obligations because we can see it In front of us. And you know, up until then, we all believed that there were two personas that each of us had the work person, the home person. And we we told ourselves, we could be two different people. Right? It was only when things cracked or a thing you know your dad dies or your kid gets sick or something like that it's only when the crack opens and you're like well I'm a mom too I'm a dad I'm a daughter I'm a grandmother
1: whatever it is by the way I do this too
0: yeah and now we could see like into everybody's literally into their bedrooms usually right or their laundry rooms and see that they got other things happening at home and so I think that's a really really healthy thing that's happened to work. And I don't think that, like, I get called all the time to talk about the future of work. You and I have talked about this. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's now. What are we waiting for? And if you go back, you'll be so sorry.
2: It's just, you. But it seems like we're getting softer. Like, we've gone through a lot of adversity, and it, it feels like we've come out on the other end, like, really soft from where I sit.
0: Yeah. You're in the real world and I'm not anymore. So I, you know, I still, I I get to pontificate all the time. It's like, I was talking to somebody on a podcast the other day. I'm like, you know, I love this, this place I have in the world now where I'm like this diva guru. Right. And I, people like, Oh, you're so
1: innovative. I never innovated anything. I just stopped doing stupid shit. If you could rewind 20 years today and come back in and hang out with Nolan and I, And all the kooks we hang out with in the current situation, would you? Why or why not? Would you do it again in this environment? You know, um, probably not (laughs) successfully
0: because I'm such a hard ass. But yeah, I mean, you know... um, so every podcast ends up with the lightning questions. We're gonna ask you a bunch of questions. Not this one. And you're gonna and you're gonna pretend like you didn't the know way. them. And so I want you to act like it's spontaneous, right? And one of them is, what would you tell your younger self? And I after I thought about it for a while, I realized I would tell I wish I knew how good I was then. Right. I didn't know that I was good at what I did until I made six figures and I had a VP title. Then I was like, oh no, I'm I'm kind of a pro now. Mm. But I was a I was a great recruiter. Yeah. You yep. know, and um and the reason why I was a great recruiter was I really loved what people do for a living. I mean, I loved going into the Robotics lab, <laughs> watching people build little tiny arms. Of th- I mean, I thought that was cool, right? And um, so that relationship between what we do as professionals and what the other people do in our companies to make our companies successful should be like muscles. It's we're not outside of the company. We're not business partners. We are in the business, yeah. right? What? I, so I walk. Uh, I'm at Netflix, and I'm walking in the. Lunchroom, Reed and I, and I see a bunch of engineers and they're talking amongst themselves and then they, they're they shispering. That's what I call talking shit in a whisper. Oh, like, that is sh- 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 so good. Like, shispering. OK, sh- 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 and then they stop talking and Reed says, um They're afraid of you. I'm like, No, they're not. He goes, Yes, they are. You control their title, their salary, whether or not they work there. I mean, what does it feel like? And I'm like, It feels like I have a lot of power. And he goes, yeah, what does that feel like? I'm like, what's it feel like, Reed? Hmm. It's the same thing. So I sit down with those engineers. I'm like, let's see, why are you just bringing, oh, my salary was just released on Edgar the day before because I'm a Section 16 officer. I'm like, can you guys believe how much money I make? They're like, whoa. I'm like, I can't write a line of code. You, two of you have PhDs in math. I mean, like seriously, like why on God's earth is this chick making this kind of money? And they're like, <sighs> and I'm like, because I'm in charge of making sure we got the right teams in the right place at the right time. And, um, so that means having the right people here, finding the right people, having the wrong people, you know, people that move on, move on with dignity and grace. And, um, And I I really hear you about your education and your expertise. So, which one of you wants to go do the exit interview with the VP that I'm about to do? Anyone? 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 Want to do that? So, but it's that scope. So, let's go back to what HR people do. We do all this behind the scenes stuff on compensation and scope and reach of job and levels and all that stuff that everybody wants to know, but they don't really know it. We don't really tell them. We don't really tell them that the Radford survey we use to figure out their compensation is two years old. Yeah, it's an art. <laughs> it's and it's and that and that the way we do it is the way we've done it since 1967. I did, I did a talk with a couple of thousand compensation people one time. Me. <laughs> with comp people. My eyes just went wide. Yeah, I know. I was just like, oh, my God. So I was like, okay, the doors are closed. I'm one of you. I get it, okay? Here's what I want you to do. Raise your right hand. Everybody go home and write some checks and fix equal pay, for God's sake. How hard is this? Like, it's not... This is not, you know, brain surgery. This is called a spreadsheet that says average male salary, average female salary. If it's different, write a check, make it simple. Okay. And then realize, go look in the mirror and realize that this inequity, you made it yourself.
2: But wasn't Netflix like that? Because Netflix was always uh, top pay for top performance and it was individual markets. Yes. Right. And so with individual markets, you're going to have inequities. And so
0: I, it depends i mean i can't say anything about when i left yeah but when i was there one of the questions that was um ejected from any interview was what are you currently making okay okay so i no longer allowed people to ask that in an interview
2: i i, re- I do remember one of the things about getting a raise was uh, one of the best ways to do it was to go get another offer.
0: Yeah, I used to say, I, I, I sent a note to the whole company one time. and I'm like, okay, just let me be clear. I know that headhunters are calling you. I know that we're popular. I know that people want you guys to come. Okay, so just do me a favor. Before you say no thanks, be sure you say how much and come tell me. Because that's how I, I'll know what market no. is. I think that the the real no. intel around pay, competitive pay, especially in the Bay Area, is in recruitment. It's just a hard. I, again, that's another one of those nuts totally I agree. never really cracked.
1: But like this comp piece, like we just—it's one slice of so many slices so of this damn pie. S-
2: it's an important slice. No, but
1: no, it's, I'm saying it's yeah. a hard job, is yeah. what oh, I'm yeah. saying. No, right. but, like, I, but 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 like, it's all the the this is what I
0: learned it's the whole thing you can't chunk it up like we do in HR well comp does this and employee relations does this and the benefits people do this and that and we all think we have these separate correct it's all the same all the same so so I'm co I'm on the board of a company that does year-end performance bonuses right so I'm meeting with the CEO the CFO the chief people officer, after they've done two months of calculations, figuring out what the performance bonus is going to be at the end of the year, right? And it's based on company performance and stock performance. And then I'm like, okay, before we get started talking about the intricacies of the bonus program, which I I, I mean, I think I'm a pretty smart person, but honestly, I'm kind of twisted about it. Have you ever not paid it? What do you mean? I'm like, so seven years, have you ever not paid the annual performance bonus? Well, I, I don't know that that's relevant. I'm like, it's totally relevant. Have you ever not paid it? No. I'm like, okay, so it's not a performance bonus. The only thing you have to do to earn this bonus is be employed on December 31st. So it's actually a retention bonus. Okay, so it has nothing to do with performance. All these calculations that you're doing end up, that people always get paid this bonus, right? And like, so, and this is, you know, f- five, 10 years ago in San Francisco. I'm like, and so your average employee is a 28-year-old single man uh, who's living in the most expensive city in America. Why don't you just let him pay more rent? <laughs> <laughs> but it's
2: so simple to say, but it's I, like, you guys have, Netflix did this years ago. This is not like a new concept, but it still hasn't been modeled. Like,
0: yeah, I, why not? You guys tell that's me. What, I mean, that's you're, what I in want the, to know. you're in the world. Like, why do we keep doing this stupid stuff? It's just because we always have, because people always do. Because yeah. Partly because I think that, um, to be honest with you, I think that VCs typically come out of business and when they advise their clients, companies on what best practices are they think it's what they did yeah so best that the term best practices is another one that i just hate
1: hate hate right it's like it just means what everybody else does yes that's all it means well ironically the best practice term is hindering us from changing right i mean if you want to i mean netflix is one of them right it takes courage to be that first one to do something different i.e. not best practice, potentially.
2: Yeah, but they were so successful. Patty wrote a book. There's a culture deck that's been out for 15 years. Like, it worked. Yeah, but, you and know. And it's still not being it, modeled. It's
0: uh, it's not, look, uh, so I'm talking to a friend of mine who had my job after I left, a couple times after I left, Jessica Neal. And I was like, oh, thank God we don't have our jobs now because like in the middle of the writer's strike. Yeah. Right, I'm like, this would be gnarly compensation. Yeah. But then we're both like, Ooh, this would be juicy because what they want is they want residuals based on reruns and that's not how it works anymore, right? So they want to go back to the way it always was and get paid the way writers always have. But that's not Mm -hmm. the way it is now. So both of us were like, Ooh, (laughs) that would be really hard (laughs) and really fun. So, you, you know, it's about getting people in our profession that really think like innovators. Yeah. And that's what's missing. That's what's missing. That's what's really missing. Yeah. I totally agree with you, Patty. So how
1: do we fix that? I mean, we, you see more business leaders going to these jobs. Is that part of
0: it? Yeah, part of it. I mean, I see a lot of operations people going into HR now, and yeah. they're they're pretty good about that. They understand it. Um,
2: they're not risk averse either. These mm, people are going in and ripping stuff up.
0: Yeah, it, it, and because they've been victims of it <sighs> for so long, I mean, they've been they're able the to to be well to be yeah. stymied they can't do their own jobs because they got to wait for all this other stuff that doesn't make any difference. And, you know, I, will I'll say this, I maybe leave you with this. I learned everything that I did from product managers and from engineers. Right. So what I learned from them was, you know, nobody at Netflix said, let's make your remote control a smidge better. Right. Let's make it so you don't have 100 channels, you have 12. I mean, whatever. I mean, we did. We're like rethink the whole thing. Uh, a great example is we knew um, that you would binge 20 years ago because as soon as box sets came out, everybody would want to load up their queue with box sets and watch them. Right. So it's like, boy, if we could ever do this, um yeah, it's hot here. Yeah. If if we could ever do this, people would love it. Like, what if you could just keep fast forwarding and watch things, right? So, between that knowledge of consumer behavior and the ability to technically do it, was probably ten years. Yeah. But what but what I learned from them was they would reverse engineer.
2: I think it's risk averse. People are scared. People are scared to do things differently. And we were talking to David Hanrahan about mm-hmm. this. And David said something really interesting is like, when I was younger, I used to be attached to like my thing. Uh-huh. Like this was the thing I was going to do. And I had, you know, every six months I'd go through like a different thing Yeah. versus like coming at it from a first principles perspective and thinking about it as like, if we're trying to build a hyper growth business and these are the things we're doing, how do we get the best people in the building and how do yeah. we keep them there?
0: You know, I am, I, um, here's how I did it. I did it just like, the product managers did. I yeah. would I would say when I got rid of paid time off, right? I didn't get rid of paid time off. I got rid of tracking paid time off. Right. And I stood on a chair back in the day when I could stand on a chair and talk to everybody in the company. And I said, look, my HR friends tell me I'm out of my mind that this is just going to be terrible. Either everybody's going to work all the time or nobody's going to work at all. Yep. Um, my lawyer friends and enemies tell me this is insane. We're going to be sued because men are going to take more time off than women or you know, mm-hmm. whatever. It's going to be discriminatory. And I said, you know, and all that could be true. These are smart people who I really respect. But to be honest with you, I don't see why anybody on my team needs to keep track of when you're at work. I really think that this is best managed at the team level. So we're going to try it for six months. And if they're right and I'm wrong, then we'll do what
1: everybody else does and call it best practices. Yeah, it's a great question. I just don't know why more of this doesn't happen.
0: Why don't, you know, back to like when we were talking earlier, why don't founders require more from
1: us. Well, I was going to yeah. say a lot of it is the the disposition, the personality, right? The risk aversion. And frankly, the dislike of HR crap in these companies.
2: Really what you just said, though, is run it like an experiment. Right. Right. And I think if we started to frame these things more as experiments they become a lot less scary to go test.
0: Totally. You know, and I'm like, and I know you guys are worried about it too. Cause yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not just talking to anybody. I'm talking yeah. to like, yeah, <laughs> we had Wilson Sonsini was our lawyers and um, Sonsini gets on the phone. He's <laughs> like, um, Larry Sansini says, read and Patty. I forbid this. This is the worst idea you've ever had. Wow. You absolutely should not do this. And we said, thanks Larry.
2: it launches monday
0: (laughs) you know and and it was really we learned a ton from it i mean when i left it actually went south you know there are people like hey by the way wife's pregnant Um, i'll see you next year like people like so we didn't put enough structure around it to say hey by the way we're paying you an annual salary so you kind of need to do years worth of work
2: it takes courage to do that but it's You know, if you run it as an experiment, you learn along the way. You make changes. Nothing's set in stone.
0: Here's my big start. There's two things really, really important. Adults. Yep. Right? These aren't high schoolers that you're employing. These are adults. They have mortgages. They have car payments. They have children. They have mothers. It's like, so these are adults. So do not put anything in place that treats them like
1: kindergartners. And the second one is be a great place to be from. So Patty, I want to talk about the topic of compartmentalization mm. in this job. Mm-hmm. Big word, but the, the the real deal of it is we see a lot. We've seen a lot. We see a lot. We will see more. Um, a lot comes at us. A lot of personal stuff. Oh, just heavy, yeah. heavy shit. Yeah. How do you, how have you compartmentalized that? A couple of things. So,
0: My two rules for termination were you couldn't be surprised and you had to keep your dignity. And so when a manager would come in and say, I've had it with Kelly, I told her one more time, she does this again, she's out of here. She did it one more time, I want to fire her. And I'm like, great, why don't you wait here and let me go ask Kelly how she's doing. Well, actually, I told her that in our one-on-one in May. I'm like, well, it's October so what do you think she's going to tell me? And then I go meet with you and you say, Shawnee, I mean, you know, he does this two, three times a year and he gets really mad at me and he yells at me and I cry and, you know, it's something about communication and I don't know what it is. And so I avoid him (laughs) for a couple of months and then he's back and we do it again. So to be honest with you, I don't really know, right? And so that part of it is where we can be really useful in coaching people about how to have real conversations with people about their performance, right? And so that you, you aren't surprised, right? It's not, it's not something that happens to you out of the clear blue sky. You've had conversations that say, maybe this isn't going to work out. The other one is, um, We talked about this a little bit earlier. We're not business partners. We're business people. And it's a business that we're running. And, you know, people would come in and tell me that, you know, spill their hearts and souls. I'm like, oh, God, sounds horrible. Like, do you have a mom? Do you have a sister? Do you have a best friend? Because I'm not any one of those people. Like, I'm an officer of the company. And so, like, um, sounds really sucky but I'm not sure it's something that we need to resolve here.
2: Isn't that counter, though, to bring your whole self to work?
0: Yes, but you're bringing your whole self to work, right? You're not bringing your whole self to have all of your relationships there. I I I will tell you, though, I've changed my mind about this a little bit, right? So um, the whole team, not family thing. I, I really, really mean that. I really do mean that. I think that we have opportunities to do things with people at work that we have nowhere else in our lives, right? It's different than a family. It's different. Th- I mean, we there are wonderful things we do with our families, but we can't do at work. And there's wonderful things we do at work that we can't do with our families because we just respect each other. So what's interesting is now that I look back on it and if I rewrote my book, I might change that to say... Um, They're not your family, but it doesn't mean you can't make enduring lifelong friends with the people at work. It doesn't mean you can't love them, right? That you can have incredible respect for somebody else. But when you're together at work, you're together at work to do work. And so I don't know that, I don't know how I deal with that now. I really don't. Yeah, Um, I
1: mean, it's a slippery slope. I don't know, Nolan, if you've experienced this, but the, the line between helping to coach Right through communication or awareness or these things that I kind of call them above the line things. All of a sudden, three minutes later, you're like, "Whoa! How did we get to where we're at now?" It's very personal. It's very high stakes. It's very mm-hmm. psychologist, psychiatrist. Like, how do you I'm know like when that happens? I
2: think a lot. Of, I think a lot and of and it's HR a hard pros, thing
1: to do. And if you don't, uh, if you can't recognize that line, it can backfire a pretty lot of, bad.
2: A lot of HR pros get into the therapist. Yeah zone i mean what's your take on that patty
1: and they get their energy from that i
0: think it's a really slippery slope and i think it's detrimental to everybody involved right unless you're a therapist a tra- i mean this is a profession this isn't like oh you know what let's be part-time therapists we'll be friends and we'll be co-workers and i'll yeah. be your therapist I mean, it's like no uh, right, it's, you want somebody who really knows what they're doing to deal with this, and most of us aren't trained to do yeah. that. And and I think where we go bad <laughs> or wrong is that you start off thinking oh, I can really help this person, and then you're just over your head. And your head. Especially then it's very in the- time
2: consuming. Very time consuming. Yeah, because
0: that person thinks you're their therapist and they want to be with you all the time and they want to tell you about all the And, it, and you know, you go into that inappropriate zone really fast, really fast. The other thing is, um, you know, the I guess the way, one of the ways that I've worked my way around it is um, I'm not your therapist, I'm not your mom, and I'm not your boss. You have a boss right so you know my favorite one of my favorite phrases is what did Nolan say when you told him that I'm like well i i'm like if you can it, i i I couldn't say that to him i'm like you said it to me yeah <laughs> so what if we use we can practice using different words if you think he'll listen to you better but you just said it to me to me so i mean that's a way i think that we can turn around the the therapist role to the coaching role, which is, um, this is not an issue between you and me and I'm not
1: going to fix it for you. But this this is where it gets hard in this job, right? Cause this job to some employees, that's why you're here. You're a therapist. I, I should spend six hours with you a day if I want to, to a founder and a leadership team and a, and a board, you're there to help the company make money and grow. It's a misclassification. It's almost like an impossible thing sometimes. And this is where I see a lot of HR leaders get pinched. It's just no win. There's no way you win that one. I mean, no one will you see.
2: That's what you're saying though, right? It's just a misclassification and you have to have a hard line on what we do and what we don't do. And people need to understand that. And I think that's where a lot of the gray area lies today is like employees don't really know what the job of HR is.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's fair. I was going to say, and that's why you got to go out and say that, right? Yeah. A lot of HR teams, they kind of hang out behind the curtain. They do their thing. Well, what are you you doing back there all day? (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so it's it's part of our job to be straight with them and tell them, you know, um, like I said, I'm an officer of the company.
1: That's my job. It comes first. You talked earlier about um, the early days of Netflix and the intensity and the the fighting right the 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 hey the CFO Reed. I just feel like to Nolan's point earlier about the the industry getting soft. I feel like that doesn't really happen anymore you like know- one little argument ugh! Should I be here? Should they be here? It's I'd a be a total fit. failure, like, wouldn't I? <laughs> I mean, just, no, but like, what happened to, for better or for worse, we're in this. We're going to kick and scratch sometimes. Who cares? I feel like the stakes are just iron. so yeah.
0: You high know, I, read, I said to Reed, I'm like, oh, I hear you're one of the white guys who wants everybody to come to back, back to work, come back in the office. And he's like. You know, why do you always have to put white guy in front of it? I'm like, I'm just saying it's real. And I'm like, why Why do you want everybody to come back to work? And he said, we're too nice on Zoom. Hmm. Um, and, and he said, I can't see. He said, for example, I couldn't see you giving me the stink eye, <laughs> you know, side eye. Like, are you crazy in Zoom? Because you would never do that, right? Where if we were in the same room, I'd be like, oh, what do you have to say, Patty. Well, it I, I, turns
2: out when you say something, we might actually have a real discussion.
0: Yeah, and so that's what he said. He's like, um, you know, we don't debate, right? We don't yeah. dis- we don't argue in the most positive way. And when people ask me about like what do I miss about working now, it's that. Like, I miss going into a meeting and being like, I am so right, yeah. I am so right. Just yeah. wait till these people hear my argument, I'm
1: gonna so I win I feel like this. it used to be just a part of the job. Yeah. And now and it then, happens and it's like a thing. And then, you know, when people talk complaint. me out of it's it. It's a complaint. Yeah, And I don't know what's it's going on. It's HR complaint. If you're seeing this, Nolan, but the softest out there, I'm like, we're brothers and sisters, we're gonna fight, we're gonna scream, it doesn't mean you need to leave or I should lose my job or vice versa. Uh, like, it's, it just is. It's the weaponization of HR.
2: It's just like when we get into a new argument, Patty, and then I don't like it, I'm going to go tell my HRBP that Patty was mean or Patty, you know, wasn't listening to me. And it's just like, I, I just, these are human relationships. It's business.
0: There's a difference between our role as coaches that's different than a role as a therapist. And the coach says, you know, when I, let's use my example I just used, well, you just told me. However, if you tell Nolan what you just told me, he'll probably squash you like a bug. So let's find a way that you can use different words to get what you just told me across, right? That might be so that he can listen, right? And because you feel unhappy is not a legit result, right? And and so you have to teach people to go, and because you're unhappy, you're not very motivated Mm. and you're not working very hard and you're you know um
1: now it's a self-fulfilling prophecy
0: yeah now it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. and yeah. you're not actually doing anything and now he's mad at you because you're not doing it and it's like like how do stop we stop the cycle stop the cycle how do we create a healthy work environment and also i don't know how you guys do this i'm, I'm just mystified it's like you, you know how do you tell people sometimes you just don't agree and that's cool
2: yeah. Disagree and commit. Yeah. The, the Bezos quote I love is, will you gamble with me? Uh-huh. Like, I love that quote and it, and I honestly feel like more people should say it because we don't really know what's going to happen. None of us can predict the future, but we also can't continue to be so upset when someone does something different than what we want.
0: Yeah. And you know, the other one is the, the results. If you constantly focus on the results mentality, which is- you could be right and I could be wrong. Let's see how it plays out. And remember. Okay. And if more than once you come to me where I think you're being a big fat whiner, and it turns out that you're right, then I probably should have listened to you more. Right. But maybe the way you communicated with me wasn't a way where I could put a you know, put a marker on what I perceive you to be whining about versus what it does to the business or the team or the group. I mean it's that yeah. it's that results orientation that I think that where HR people get in the slippery slope. For sure. Yeah.
2: Last one for you, Patty, is you, you've been out of the game for a little while now. <laughs> I think a lot of HR people are really tired right now. I bet. Do you miss it though? Mm-hmm. Do you miss do you miss being in the arena?
0: Um I miss being in the executive arena. I don't miss being in the HR arena as much, um, but because I haven't been for 20 years. You know, I mean, the whole time I was at Netflix, I wasn't the HR person. I was a business person, and I've been gone 12 years, so that's 20-something years. So um, I think it's a challenge for people now, but I think it's an incredible opportunity. I mean, we don't have to go back. We can create our own future. It's right here in front of us right now. We can do all kinds of experiments. I mean, that's, you know, when people say, uh, I think I told you this earlier, oh, we could, we'd love to do what you did at Netflix, but we can't because we're regulated. We can't because our CFO won't. We can't because we're in Europe. We can't because we couldn't possibly work from home. And then 48 hours later, the whole fucking world worked from home, <laughs> yep. right? And it's like that muscle was always there. Yep. Yeah. It was always there. And so now you know. And and I sure. think that, to be fair, about how people are responding right now, it's that the pandemic was so emotional and so hard, and there was so much psychology to it, to be honest with you, yep. right? It's like, you know, my, my son will tell me, he, he and his friends will say, um, you know, we're not so much worried about us. We're in our thirties, late thirties. It's the people who are new to work. And, you know, when you get out of college or it's your first adult, Relationships with people who aren't your friends or aren't from school or aren't your family is the people you have at work, and a, we have a whole generation of people that didn't get to do that.
1: A hundred percent. I actually, full honesty, I don't think about that enough. I, I can't imagine starting into it when I was twenty-one years old yeah. on Zoom. Yeah, I just never I meeting been, another
0: person, in, right?
1: Never going out I for drinks after work. Never and you're in
2: a five hundred square foot apartment, you know, in New York.
1: Correct, like. Yeah. So I, I do agree with this hybrid. I mean, full remote, I just can't. I personally can't wrap my head
0: Yeah, well, it. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to you on the other side of the spectrum. Um, I also think that um, when people c- complain about the workforce and we don't have enough talent, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm an old lady now, but I'm a really smart old lady. And I'm not done. And I think we miss we miss a lot of wisdom out there. Because, you we're know, inflexible. It, we're inflexible about uh, older people, right? It's like they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. Of course they know. I mean, you know, I've been in tech my whole life. You think I can't figure yeah. this stuff out. So I, there's like, there's a calm and a wisdom yep. that's available to us, too. That's not just fresh and young and new. And it's that
1: combining those two things could be so powerful. Once again, it's not either or. I feel like this either-or forcing is just- Yeah, and how we can learn there. from each other. Yeah.
0: Right? I mean, there's so much. I, I, I mean, I, the reason I'm doing the podcast with you is because I learn a ton from talking to you because you're in the real world now, and I'm not in it every day. But I know what I've learned, and I know it's possible.
2: Patty, this was gold. So appreciate your time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome.
2: HR Heretics is a podcast from Turpentine, the network behind Econ 102, Moment of Zen, and Turpentine VC. Subscribe, five stars, share it on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, all the things.